0: This is a show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve him and their neighbor, for whom the words of the creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is a show for those like you and me who make the conscious choice day after day to follow Christ outside the walls. Oh my goodness, 2020 has a reputation. And it has a reputation of just kind of unleashing every possible thing on us. It's uh, this, this is officially the year of Murphy's law. Um, man, we're, we're in June already. And it just, it feels like January was 10 years ago. It just has been such an overwhelming year. And the last month is just really kind of giving 2020 a run for its money. Uh, I kind of, um, this is a time for us to ingest, and also in all seriousness, this is a time for us really to get down on our knees and say, Lord, come to our aid. Let, this, uh, let, let the difficulties of 2020 be left behind us. Uh, but right now we are still in the thick of it. Uh, many places in the U.S. are still under quarantine. I'm, I'm in one of those places. Uh, and we have just uh, an immense amount of unrest uh, in In human hearts, in our cities um, and and so today we're going to talk about a difficult topic and you know that i I tend to not like to talk about polarizing topics because for me, what's important is that we become disciples, that we become people who follow after Christ and then also fulfill the great commission to go out into all the world and make disciples of all nations. We've just come through Pentecost to be empowered by the Spirit to live this out. And so this is a time for us to, uh, to, again, renew our prayer and say, okay, come come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit and they shall be created and you shall renew the face of the earth and this is my prayer for us today, O oh God, who by the light of the Holy Spirit did instruct the hearts of the faithful, grant that by the same Holy Spirit we may be truly wise and ever enjoy your consolations through Christ our Lord. I, I, I tend to like to spend time on spiritual development, and I stay away from those topics which are um, central to the, the, the national discussion. Uh, if if it's trending on Facebook, I tend or Twitter, uh, I tend to not talk about it here. Um, but we're in a place where the demands of being a missionary disciple and the cacophony of the national discourse have crossed paths, and so today we're going to be talking about all that's going on with um, with racial reconciliation in light of the dignity of the human person. This is always going to be a show that finds its way back to our core beliefs of the faith. Uh, it's a show that we say, okay, we say we believe this, whether it be from the creed, whether it be from the catechism, some tenet of faith. We say we believe this, so what difference does it make? And today, that question is um, just as loud as it can be, echoing through my mind. We say we believe in the dignity of the human person from conception to natural death. We say we believe that all people, the whole of humanity, is created in the image and likeness of God and bears His image with incomparable dignity. We believe that it is this image of God which gives us our value and our identity. And if that's the case, if we believe in the dignity of the human person, then we ought to have something to say about what's going on in the world today that has nothing to do with what political party we most affiliate ourselves with. It should have nothing to do with um, the, with the prevailing narratives of our day. Rather, we should step back and say, we are a people of faith, and we believe in the dignity of the human person that cannot be blotted out by anything, not even by one's own actions. That's how profound God's image is in us. So if that's the case, how do we proceed? Well, the answer is that we proceed informed by the Holy Spirit. We ask for his His guidance. We ask to be filled with the Spirit and led by the Spirit, because only in the Spirit, only empowered by God, can we do anything uh, worthwhile. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. So uh, we've just now experienced Pentecost where where the Holy Spirit came upon the, the disciples and gave them the ability to live out the Great Commission, and we pray that God would grant us A share in that same spirit. Something else that happened at Pentecost was a reverse of the Tower of Babel. The people in Genesis all had one language, and God frustrated their language and and took away their ability to communicate. And I think that's in part to highlight our dependence on God. But here at Pentecost, the apostles and the disciples have learned to rely on God. They've been calling out for nine days since the ascension uh, in prayer and the Holy Spirit falls on them and gives them the ability to communicate again. And each person hears the gospel, the mighty acts of God in their own language. And the church is still doing this as the church is existing over the entire earth right now. The church is still speaking in the languages of the people, but even within our own language, um, as people talk about England, that England and America are two countries separated by a common language. Uh, even within the United States, we have a number of different cultures that are separated uh, by a common language. Uh, even even beyond uh, r- racial groups or ethnic groups having different meanings for a word, you just look at political parties, and all of a sudden now we have a different meaning for the same word. And so a person speaks, and all of a sudden the, the, the hearer assumes— that they understand completely just based on the word that was used, even if a different definition is in play. Um, you have uh, th- this wonderful quote, one of my favorites, from, um, from a person whose name should be on the tip of my tongue and will come as I say the quote. Uh, it's George Bernard Shaw. He said, the single biggest problem with communication is the illusion that it's taken place. And so here we need to realize that communication is a very difficult task, and very often we have topics that are controversial, that we tend to retreat to our narratives. We retreat to the place where we're very comfortable, and we live in the the security of the definitions that we understand. But in doing that, we miss out on communication, and the church calls us to more than that. And so we've seen, all of us have, have witnessed uh, the, the unrest that has gone on in our nation in the last week, and I would be Uh, absolutely negligent if we didn't talk about that on the show this week. But I want to do that in a different way because all of us already have a very definite opinion of how that should be interpreted. Who is to blame? uh, What should be done about it? And I want to take a step back and say, our faith demands certain things of us that are going to be challenging no matter who you are. It's going to challenge your narrative and ask you to enter into the narrative of the gospel And so to do that, to explore this through the lens of the dignity of the human person, that every person has incomparable worth due to the fact that they were made in the image of God, to help us do that and to provide a different perspective, we're going to be talking today with Father Robert Boxy III. Uh, He's a parochial vicar at St. Joseph Catholic Church in Largo, Maryland. Father Boxy, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me. Appreciate being here.
0: So we, we are in a place in our nation uh, where the narratives are in full swing right now. Um, as a, an African-American, not me, uh, but you, because if anyone's seen my picture they or heard my voice, they, they know better, uh, I want to start perhaps with lived experience and then let's move to principle uh, because both of these are important in this situation. So talk a little bit about your experience of what's gone on in the last week and then we'll move on to what we can take from that.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. Thanks again for, for having me. Thanks for uh, that question. Yeah. This has actually been a, a really tough week and, um, you know, and not even just so much this week, the, these last several weeks have been pretty tough. And, um, you know, I guess it, it really all started with the, the Ahmad Arbery, you know, when that yeah. video came out and, and I take that very personally because I'm a runner as well. And they oftentimes run outside of my neighborhood and my parish boundaries. Uh, and I've been doing that a lot recently, even before all of this uh, had come up. So and, and, and I can relate to all of the the commentary, the articles, the, the social media posts that were being written about black runners, you know, having to wear certain things, having to you know to um, you know look as non-threatening as possible uh, because, you know, you quote unquote don't belong here, or why are you here? Um, so yeah, that 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 it, it started really started <laughs> with me with, with all of that when all that came out, and then you know you had this incident in New York in Central Park where there's an African American who was simply bird watching in Central Park, and um, uh, you know there was a, a, a white woman who was with a dog in a park that uh, should not have had dogs, or the dog should have been on the leash, um, and you know she threatened him with calling the police um, because he had asked her to put her dog uh, on a leash. And, you know, that whole incident blew up. And then, you know, just to, to add, to add to that, you know, we have this horrible um, inexcusable senseless murder, this killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis. And it was really just like the last straw, you know, like, like what, what else can go on? Um, so it, 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 it's really been a lot just trying to process what is actually going on, trying to understand my feelings, my reactions, my emotions, uh, and really trying to make sense of, of why this is still happening. Why uh, are we continuing to, you know, have the same things happen over and over and over and over again, and nothing seems to be be done about it um now our country is, is is you know it seems as though you know there there are parts all over the country really and even the world um that is tired of uh, the injustice tired of the racism tired of the discrimination uh, and we see that in people's protesting we see that in you know, large crowds here in, in washington dc all over the country you know in major cities around the world um it, it, it's speaking to something that um, that that we know is wrong, uh, that fundamentally goes against who we are as human beings, created in the image and likeness of God, with the dignity that God has given to, to each of us. Um, so, so it, it, it is something of every human being and every person should be moved by this. Um, um, so, so I guess for me that this past week has just been, um, it's been difficult. It's been challenging. It's been very reflective. Um, and, and, and just trying to make sense of um, what is my role in this and, and how do I help um, bring healing and move um, move this discussion, move this conversation forward. And I'm thankful that you're, um, you've invited me on the show to, to talk this out.
0: So, Father Boxy, um, you, you've brought up a couple of words that I want to take a moment to qualify. Uh, you brought up the words racism uh, and injustice uh, and these are words that that, for one reason or another, cause people to recoil, not necessarily because of the meaning of the word, but because of the perceived uh, the perceived baggage and 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 weight associated with that word. not so much for what is being said, but for what people assume goes along with what is being said. So I want to take a, a moment to step back just a bit and and unpack these terms, uh, specifically because, um, these terms are often used as accusations and as um, uh, almost as weapons, uh, and or or at least they are perceived to be weaponized words when you go to the extremes. And yet you are not an extreme person. Uh, you and and yet you experience this and you're using these words. So unpack for us your definition of uh, and your experience of racism and injustice, so that we can. Uh, all be starting from that same definition.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, racism. Yeah. It, it sort of encompasses um, quite a bit, but um, I would say at the heart, um, it is, you know, attitudes, um, disposition, actions, a culture um, that treats one race as superior to another. And the, um, and with that superiority comes, comes a power, um, comes a power to, to perpetuate this superiority, this difference, um, uh, this distinction based on, based on race. Um, it's, not, it's not limited just to um, concrete actions, um, you know, words, um, but a, but a mentality, a system, structures, institutions that are in place to perpetuate, um, this difference, the superiority uh, of one race over, over another. Mm-hmm.
0: So, um, I saw something recently and someone was asking the question, uh, they said, you know, we didn't really even hear about the quote unquote sin of racism until, uh, the sixties. And, and so when, when did this become a sin? And the response to this, I thought was very good. Um, it, and I'm, I'm, I don't have it directly in front of me to bring out the the specific reference, but Paul says in one of his letters, uh, show no partiality, right? And so in a great sense, it, it the sin of racism is, is the sin of, um, showing partiality of saying, you know what, uh, you're not as good as me. It goes all the way back to the—it can apply in a number of different places, whether it's class, where he says uh, in Corinthians, or Colossians, he's saying—Corinthians—he uh, says, you are allowing the rich to go to the Eucharist first, and they're feasting, and there's nothing left for the poor. Show no partiality in anything. It applies in class. It applies in race. It applies uh, in the the gifts of the Spirit, as those— uh, we're saying, oh, well, I speak in tongues, so mine is the best. And he's saying, no, uh, desire all the gifts, but the, these are not points of status. They are, uh, they are things that belong to you as people. So show no partiality in anything. And then so we can take that partiality and turn it into this hierarchy and pecking order and, and say, well, you know, you can make it up to this level if you do X, Y, and Z uh, that puts— like the Pharisees, I think, puts burdens on the people that God never intended.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, um, yeah. This idea of, of partiality. Um, yeah, we are making these distinctions um, that God has not made. Um, um, you know, God created. You know, you know, and even in that passage, you know, um, um you know, God gives. The Spirit to give all these gifts for us, you know, tongues, teaching, um, uh, prophecy, um, leadership. You know, it, it, it's the same Spirit. Mm-hmm. You know, um, same Spirit, uh, same God, um, many gifts, um, right. and the the yeah the fact that um, we add this additional element to it of, of partiality or of distinction. Um, to say that one is better than the other. I mean, yeah, that, that's, that's, um, that, that's not how it was intended to be. And, and, and it's not how it should be. Um, and yeah.
0: The other word that you brought up that I want to look at is the word injustice. Uh, and I want to look at this specifically in light of something that Pope Benedict the 16th said at an inaugural address at a paracita, at a, at a, a General Conference of Bishops in, in Latin America and the Caribbean. Uh, and he talked about justice in, in light of uh, structure, uh, of just structures over the whole of society. And, and this is what he, what he said there. Undoubtedly, the fundamental question about the way the church, illuminated by faith in Christ, should react to these challenges is one that concerns us all. In this context, we inevitably speak of the problem of structures, especially those which create injustice. Just structures are, as I have said, an indispensable condition for a just society. but they neither arise nor function without a moral consensus in society on fundamental values and on the need to live these values with the necessary sacrifices, even if this goes against personal interest. And so yes, that's, that's, well, yeah sorry but yeah one of the things that I think we often hear we hear these, Um, these claims of racism. And oftentimes we think of it as a a personal slight that we would be um, so calloused as to be racist. Uh, And we don't, I think, have a clear understanding of the difference between uh, active and overt racism and structural racism, that which is just kind of built into the fabric of our uh, our everyday uh, experience. Uh, I find little examples, like um, recently it came to my uh, to my thought process and no one pointed it out to me, but, um, that we, you know, we use the term, oh, well, that's the wrong side of the tracks. Well, the wrong side of the tracks comes from the question of redlining, which was saying that uh, a person of African-American descent could not buy a home in certain places. They had to buy it on the wrong side of the tracks. And so even embedded in our language uh, of things that are just idiom to us and have real, no, no real, uh, importance or value they're just throwaway phrases they are also phrases that that highlight and heighten the systemic nature uh, of of discrimination
1: yeah um injustice i mean um you know th- this idea of of giving one his just dessert his, what what he is due, and you know th- this whole idea you know it's a very powerful quote from benedict you know just um systems require just structures, just societies require just um, structures. Um, And I mean, if you think about it, uh, our constitution and even, you know, the the Declaration of Independence, um, as great and wonderful as they are, (laughs) um, and I, I, you know, I I, um, respect them, um, but when they were originally written, these were pro-slavery documents. Um, which is inherently unjust, um, you know, because it allowed these institutions, um, you know, the, this this, you know, this class of people, even though they were talking about all men are created equal, but we really knew who they were talking about. Um, all white men are created equal. And, you know, the, the several million people that were in the United States um, were not even included in that. So, you know, from the very beginning, you know, our country was 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 founded on um, you know these, these sort of grand principles, but the context of them were you know were, were pro slavery, were inherently unjust, and it didn't take until you know the Thirteenth Amendment um, to to actually outlaw slavery um, after the Civil War. So, um, and and uh, yeah, the, the, this whole thing about in, institutional racism. Um, I'm a priest of the Archdiocese of Washington, and I'm. I'm not originally from here. Yeah, I'm from Louisiana uh, originally, um, but I had a, a summer um, summer assignment at a parish in Southeast Washington, which is across uh, this part of Southeast is across what we call the Anacostia River, um, and it's known as the Black section of town. Um, you know, it's you know 95 percent uh, African American, and when I had moved to Washington, um, I had hardly ever went over there. Um, one, it was just very difficult to get over there. Um, but when I had come back for this parish assignment over there, I really understood for the first time. I, I saw for myself what institutional racism actually is. Um, all of the rest of Washington D.C. is, you know, built up. You know, nice monuments, nice homes. Um, you know, great school, schools, river to Anacostia, it's a completely, totally different world. And you almost have to question if you're even in the same city. Um, you know, all of the, the tax dollars, um, uh, the spending, you know, none of that actually ever made it to, to Southeast. Now it, it's starting to change now, but, but this is a very uh, stark uh, contrast from the rest of the city and you know you see you know dilapidated buildings, um, you see roads that that uh, that are that are you know potholed up. Um, you see neighborhoods that just are just undesirable. Um, you you have all of these issues and all these problems, and and you know that just didn't happen. It didn't happen just because people are lazy and you know people don't wanna, you know want to have a job or you know go to work. Uh, it's not because people don't want to take care of their their homes or their families or their children or provide them a good education. Uh it's not any of that stuff. Um there are certain there are sections of our society, of our country, um that um, you know, where we we have it in policies and laws and in practices that favor one group, that favor certain groups over others. Um and you know, this is this is what we talk about when when we talk about institutional racism. Um, you know, that that there are in institutions and structures in society uh, that favor one group, one race, uh, one constituency more than another. And the result of that is, you know, the, the poverty, the, the disparity, um, you know, crime rates. Um, yeah, that, that, that's sort of really ingrained uh, in a lot of American policy. And you mentioned, you know, the, the housing and the redlining. Um, you know, um, yeah, you know, you, or you black, Blacks only relegated to certain parts of town, uh, to certain neighborhoods. Which again were economically depressed. There were no resources that were going into them. No one was investing their schools, local businesses, and so what do you expect? What what do you expect? Um, um, so, uh, and and then not only that. See, see, the, these things also sort of compound. Um, <clears throat> you know, the, the whole thing with housing is, um, you know, that that's sort of the American dream, right? You know, you you you, uh, you own a home, you own your own home, you have equity, you have uh, you know wealth. Um, you know, money to pass on to your, your children and your children's children generations. And that was completely uh, off limits for, for African-Americans. And so, you're, you know, you know th- these are government policies um, that excluded a group of people, African-Americans, um, um, from enjoying the, the, you know, the, the blessings, um, the, the fruits, the benefits um, uh, of that American dream. And it sort of com- has been compounded over generation, over generation, over generation, um, and there's nothing there's has nothing been done about it. And again, we're here in 2020, dealing with the same things again.
0: Yeah, and, and this is this is the place where we have to recognize that there has been some stagnation that that whatever progress was made at some point in time we have ended up in in a holding pattern. And so we need to reassert our energies and our prayers to say, Lord Jesus, come and make your kingdom known. Let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In this segment, we've really pointed out some of the issues and the problems that, that we see in the world. When we come back, we're gonna take a practical look at things. What are some things that you and I can do Because that's often a thing. Where do we go from here? How how do we tackle this problem, which seems so huge? We're going to look at some practical things that we can do to help make a difference. Join the ongoing conversation over at social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls on Twitter. The handles at outside the walls. When we come back, we'll have more of our conversation with Father Boxy, a priest from the Archdiocese of Washington. There's more to come right after this. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Outside the Walls with T.L. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L., and we're, we're talking today about what we have been experiencing in our world, seeing the, the disruption and the chaos and everything that comes from, um, uh, from these questions of racism, of inequity, of injustice. Uh, and everyone's got an opinion. Listen, I am on social media. I see that we all have opinions, and we're all very strong in these opinions. Uh, but we, as the, the people of God, are called to walk in humility— to put on, as, uh, as Paul says in the book of Colossians, to put on love, which binds all things together. And that means that we can't just sit around in our presumptions. We have to sit back and ask ourselves and allow the Holy Spirit to come in and say, okay, in charity, what is the most charitable way to approach this? How do I, as a disciple, as a missionary disciple of Jesus Christ, how do I look at these issues without feeling offended, without being up in arms? And how do I evaluate these, not in light of my political party or the, the, the news aggregator that I get my uh, information from, how do I evaluate these in light of the gospel and of the Great Commission? So to help us do that, uh, we're talking today with Father Robert Boxey, who is a parochial vicar at St. Joseph Catholic Church in Largo, Maryland, just outside the D.C. area. Father Boxey, thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me. It's good to good to be here.
0: So, in the last segment, we talked a little bit about your lived experience and and a little bit about the principles and definitions of what we're talking about. We identified the problem uh, and tried to lay it out as clearly as possible. But it does us no good to just navel gaze if we're not going to do anything. We're just if, if we're just going to have this discussion again in another fifty years then are we truly living out and spreading the gospel? Because the gospel demands that we recognize and see that all men are created, not just created equal, but that they're created in the image and the likeness of God, that they bear that image uh, emblazoned upon them, and that all who are baptized have a sharing in the divine nature. In fact, uh, in Paul's letter uh, to the Galatians, Galatians chapter 3, he says, for through faith you are all, children of God in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free person. There is not male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendant, heirs according to the promise. So here we have this lens shift for us, that we are Uh, not to make distinctions. This doesn't mean that we don't see difference. It says we are not to make distinctions uh, based on status or identity. Uh, The the other thing that I would say is we are very accustomed as Catholics to say um, that an unjust law is no law. We can look at something like euthanasia and abortion and say that these things are intrinsically evil. There is no scenario under which these things would ever be good. And even though they are legal. In some places, both are legal. In other places, one is legal. Uh, We can look at that and say, but it ought not be this way. Uh, It ought to be different um, because the gospel demands it based on the dignity of the human person. We ought to be able to look also at the sin of partiality, at the sin of racism, and say, there's no situation under which this can be good. And even if it is legal, structurally so, it ought not be. So, if that's the case and we see the problem, how do we move forward? How do we make a difference? What are the steps that we can take that will actually bring about a change in our society so that these things don't continue to happen decade after decade?
1: Thank you for that question. Um, yeah, this whole idea of, um, you know, an unjust law is no law at all. I mean, justice is part of the very essence and the nature of God, um, you know, and and you know our laws here on earth as a human society should participate in the eternal law uh, of God. Um, And so, yeah, Augustine says that, you know, an unjust law is is no law at all because it does not participate uh, in the eternal justice that God is in his essence that we are to reflect and participate in here on earth. So when we talk about solutions or actions or, you know, how do we we move uh, this forward? I think one of the things that, what has you know, what has uh, revealed itself uh, this past week, these past several weeks, these past several months, um, just the disparities that we see in our country with regards to race. I mean, the you know, beginning with really the coronavirus, uh, you know, COVID-19, and how you know the disproportionate number of African Americans and and black and brown have been affected by this. Why is that? Now we're seeing with all of the the protests that are going on around the country, you know, and all these stories are coming up about, you know, people's uh, African-Americans experience with with policing in their their neighborhoods, uh, you know, uh, in jobs and all these different experiences of racism that they have experienced. um, All of this stuff is coming to to light. And I would say most people would probably say, I am not racist. You know, I I haven't said, you know, the N-word. I haven't said this about someone or anything like that. You know, I love all people. And then that's great. And that's wonderful. However, what I think we fail to realize is we have to look outside of my experience. And especially if, you know, the stories that are coming out right now about the experience of African-Americans, if that's coming out, if you've never heard that, and if you're shocked, well, you should be shocked because, you know, th- these things are horrible and people are, people live this every single day of their lives. And I think what what we what's incumbent of us as people of faith, as Christians, and especially as Catholics, is to to try to understand the African American experience, the, the 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 stories of our brothers and sisters uh, of color, so that we can can see reality through their eyes, through their lens, um, through their lived experiences, um, because that will challenge how we think and how we see our own lives, and, and I guess with. You know with um, you know with, with white America to see the the privilege um, that is afforded to uh, to those with white skin color that is not afforded to those uh, black and brown
0: um, and, and to be to be very clear as as a, a white man there is nothing that is inherently wrong uh, we hear this term white privilege and we think oh man that's an attack no it, I think uh, my perspective of it is that what we want is for all people to have that same privilege. It's not an attack on the privilege. It's an, an, ex, uh, an exposing of the inherent injustice that currently exists, that that privilege is not un- universally shared. Uh, going back to something you said there, I think it, we're already well equipped to do this. We do this every day in terms of uh, I'm not, I'm not personally racist, but we see these structures in place. Well, we, we go back to think about uh, again, the topic of abortion. we, you see very often people say, well, I would never, I would never do an abortion and I'm not going to support any organization that does support it. So we see people doing boycotts. We see people changing uh, companies that they work with. We see them change their investment structure uh, that, that people make a change based on what they see as an unjust law. And so now it's a, a matter of adapting that to this scenario and saying, what are the structures, whether they be uh, corporate structure whether they be just wages, whether they be something involved uh, with the government itself, or whether that be federal or local, what are the things that are creating injustice, and how can I adjust my life and my spending habits and my voice, whatever power that voice has, uh, to apply it to ending that injustice in a real and substantial way?
1: Um, you know, there is the slogan of "no justice, no peace," um, and that that that's very powerful. Um, because, you know, you know, Martin Luther King has said, you know, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Um, and so I, I think for for us to, to be able to move forward, um, I think we do have to take some period of self-reflection, um, you know, some moment of, of silence and, and really asking the Holy Spirit to lift up in us. And in our hearts, those areas that I might be blind to the plight of my brother and and sister of color, African American, Latino, you know, whatever the case may be. And in order for you know you know that to happen, uh, it must be rooted in prayer. And realizing that through prayer, I can be able to commune with with Christ, with the body of Christ, not only with my Lord and Savior, but also with my brothers and sisters, um, you know, injustice and, you know, discrimination to my brothers and sisters who are part of the body of Christ, that should affect me. It's incumbent and important for us to first understand uh, what my African-Americans, uh, brothers and sisters are actually themselves going through, you know, hear and listen to to that story. If it's, if it's something related to encounters with the police, how do we make that better? You know, um, you know, is it, is it, our elected police chiefs is that our our officers, you know, demanding that our community does better when it comes to community policing relations with with law enforcement. Um, Because again, um, you know, what, what affects one aspect of the body of Christ affects the other aspect of the body of Christ. So we really are all in this together and it, and it should affect me. Um, And, you know, you know, everyone wants to, you know, to be for something and that's great. You know, you, you know, we all should be for something, but, it means so much more when I'm not just for you, but when I'm also with you, you know, um, I, you know, I'm walking with you, I'm marching with you, I'm protesting with you. Um, so, so, so being able to understand that, that particular story, the other thing that had come to mind was, um, you know, it, 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 you know, we're, we're in an election year and there's a lot of, uh, you know, talk about, you know, politics and racism would not, who are these candidates? and not just on the the federal level? That's right, but really on the, on the state and local level, which have a huge impact on a lot of these issues that they were talking about, policing, education, housing, you know, allocation of, of re, you know resources, tax money, you know, looking for those candidates, those people putting those people in positions of, of authority and, and influence that are actually going to bring about this healing and this reconciliation, this reparation, really. For um, for our community, um, speaking on that 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 topic of of reparation, I'm not going to go into reparations, you know, capital R, but this idea of you know reparation even in our own faith. Yeah. Um, so we you know we have the sacrament of, of you know, confession, uh, reconciliation, um, and you know part of it is you know repenting of my sins um, uh, and doing some type of penance to make up for it. I think that we should take this idea of of reparation, you know, seriously for the sins that have been done by the body of Christ against the body of Christ, right? You know, me uh, myself as a priest, um, I know, you know, many other priests do this. You know, I do penances for my people. Um, I didn't commit their sins. You know, I didn't do the the wrong that they did, but um, I know that we all suffer. Uh, from the pain of sin, the evil of sin, how it takes away from, you know, um, you know the, the 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 goodness in the body of Christ. Um, and so I'm going to do something to uh, uh, to make up for that.
0: well, let's let's put this in even a different light. Uh, a couple of years ago, um, maybe three or four, or five years ago, there was a black mass in Oklahoma City uh, that's right in the middle of my listening audience. Uh, the The archbishop handled it wonderfully. But one of the things that we were called to as a people was to to make reparation for the sins of those who were not even part of the body, but for the sins that they had committed against the body. And so we took on extra penances and sacrifices and prayers uh, for the sake of people who we had no connection with whatsoever. And so it's not beyond, you know, we hear the word reparations and we typically, specifically in relation to this, uh, to this topic of racism, and we immediately think of the capital R reparations and then we get into economics and then we start fighting about it uh but the idea of reparation specifically in the spiritual sense should be one as Catholics that is so very familiar to us. so um we, we're we're running out of time, Father, but I wanted to um, to point out that over your shoulder, uh, there's a holy card, I think, if I can see that clearly of father uh, oh, yes. Father Tolton yeah,
1: yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: so uh, we're going to post a link to the story of Father Tolton if you do not know the story of father tolton then you um as as a catholic this is one of those people that you need to be praying for he's uh, in uh, venerable
1: right now isn't he he's venerable right now yeah
0: so if you are you know if you're looking at the the saints that are coming up we've got stanley Rother, uh Solanus casey uh you need to add uh venerable tolton we
1: need yeah and, and i think too he is one he should really be a saint For our times right now, right now, because of all the things that he experienced and, and, um, uh, and, and and underwent uh, just to become a a priest.
0: So let's do this. Let's, let's this next week, let's pray every day. Let's ask for the intercession of father Augustus Tolton uh, as specifically for an end to this uh, to, to the violence for an end to not only the violence that you see on the news, but the violence that is inherent in the system that oppresses Uh, and discriminates against our brothers and sisters in Christ, those who share common baptism, common dignity. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit more about Father Augustus Tolton in our Patreon segment. So uh, if you want to hear more about it, well, go over to OutsideTheWalls.com, click the Patreon link, and join the number of our support community. Thank you, Father Boxy, for joining us on air.
1: Thank you very much, Theo.
0: If you missed any part of today's show or you want to go back and listen to it again, Or if you have someone else in mind that you feel wants to hear this or should hear this, I encourage you to go to OutsideTheWalls.com. All the archives are there. You can share it on social media. Now we're going to turn our attention to our reading from Scripture and from church history. That's the sound of our Verbum Library launching. And so now we turn our attention to the, the Proverbs chapter 21. A king's heart is channeled water in the hands of the Lord. God directs it where he pleases. All your ways may be straight in your own eyes, but it is the Lord who weighs the heart. To do what is right and just is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Haughty eyes and a proud heart, the lamp of the wicked will fail. The plans of the diligent end in profit, but those of the hasty, end in loss. Trying to get rich by lying is chasing a bubble over deadly snares. The violence of the wicked will sweep them away, because they refuse to do what is right. One's path may be winding and unfamiliar, but one's conduct is blameless and right. The soul of the wicked desires evil, their neighbor finds no pity in their eyes. When scoffers are punished, the naive become wise. When the wise succeed, they gain knowledge. The righteous one appraises the house of the wicked, bringing down the wicked to ruin. Those who shut their ears to the cry of the poor will themselves call out and not be answered. When justice is done... It is a joy for the just, downfall for evildoers. Whoever pursues justice and kindness will find life and honor. The wise person storms the city of the mighty and overthrows the stronghold in which they trust. Those who guard the mouth and tongue guard themselves from trouble. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination, the more so when they offer it with bad intent, the false witness will perish, but one who listens will give lasting testimony. No wisdom, no understanding, no counsel prevail against the Lord. The horse is equipped for the day of battle, but the victory is the Lord's. That reading comes from Proverbs 21. The Proverbs are a mirror. Uh, it was a mirror that, that for me as a young child, was a difficult one, because I often found myself more on the side of uh, the descriptions of the wicked than I did of the righteous. And there doesn't seem in the Proverbs very often to be um, a, a, a pathway to get from one to the other. It's just kind of like, well, if you do this, th- these are the wicked, and over here, these are the righteous— and it took me a long time. Actually, Isaiah 55 was just really profound for me, where it says, um, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous his thoughts, and and return to the Lord. And that, that I mean, I'd heard about um, repentance, and I, I'd, I'd grown up in a, a home filled with faith, but the idea that, um, that you could move from one category to the other, uh, specifically as I looked at the Proverbs, was really kind of revolutionary for me. But uh, what what I didn't understand as a child is that this is meant to be a checkup. We're meant to look at our lives in the Proverbs and say, where do I fall? Let me use this as a mirror to examine myself uh, so that I can can rightly uh, make correction, so that I can return to the Lord. And this is a challenging proverb. Uh, you know, we, we pulled... We didn't read the whole thing because it's a little bit longer than this, but there are some just really strong encouragements for us to be a people who hear the cry of the poor, Uh, a people who pursue justice and kindness to to recognize that we need to be careful what we say and how quickly we say it to guard ourselves, guard our mouth and our tongue and guard ourselves from trouble. So often, So often these days, we're very quick with our opinion, and I've been sitting on, on this specific conversation for a while because I wanted to do it right. I wanted to, to examine my own thoughts and my own heart and to, to examine them not against uh, the prevailing narratives of the day, but to, to, to view this against the gospel, to view this against the, the call that God has for us to be holy as he is holy. And so I I encourage you to listen as you hear that proverb and maybe even go back and read it yourself. This is uh, Proverbs 21, to ask yourself and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you where you fall in this and if there's something more that needs to be done in your own life so that you can put yourself or be put by God in the column of the righteous and not of the wicked. Let all of our ways be justice and right. Let all of our ways exude mercy. Let us reflect fully the, the person of Jesus Christ in our lives, that, that we would be faithful witnesses uh, to the gospel. Our reading from church history today comes from not all that very long ago. This is going to come from 1972. It's a message from His Holiness Pope St. Pope Paul VI for the celebration of the Day of Peace. And we're going to pull just parts of this out as it's a little bit longer than we have time to read here on air. It is extremely important to have an exact idea of peace and to divest it of the false concepts which too often surround and thus deform and distort it. We say this to the young, first of all, peace is not a stagnant condition of life, which finds in it at the same time both its perfection and its death. Life is movement, growth, work, effort, and conquest, things such as these. Is that what peace is like? Yes, for the very reason that it coincides with the supreme good of man as he makes his way through time. And this good is never attained totally, but is always being newly and inexhaustibly required. Peace is thus the central idea giving its driving force to the most active enthusiasm. But this is not to say that peace coincides with force. This we say especially to men in posts of responsibility. Since it is their interest and their duty to see that relations be normal between members of a given group, a family, a school, a firm, a community, a social class, a city, a state, their constant temptation is to impose by the use of force Such normal relations as bear the appearance of peace. The ambiguous character of the social life which follows is torture and corruption for human spirits. A life of pretense is the atmosphere resulting sometimes from an inglorious victory, at other times from an irrational despotism, from a coercive repression, or from a balance of permanently opposing forces which are usually on the increase as they wait for a violent outburst, which by devastation of every sort shows how false was the peace imposed only by superiority of power and force. It is difficult, but essential, to form a genuine idea of peace. It is difficult for one who closes his eyes to his innate intuition of it, which tells him, that peace is something very human. This is the right way to come to the genuine discovery of peace. If we look for its true source, we find that it is rooted in a sincere feeling for man. A peace that is not the result of true respect for man is not true peace. And what do we call this sincere feeling for man? We call it justice. Justice will bring about peace, we see in Isaiah. We repeat this today in a more incisive and dynamic formula. If you want peace, work for justice. This invitation does not ignore the difficulties in practicing justice, in defining it first of all and then in actuating it, for it always demands justice some sacrifice of prestige and self-interest. Perhaps more greatness of soul is needed for yielding to the ways of justice and peace than for fighting for and imposing on an adversary one's rights, whether true or alleged. We have such trust in the power of the associated ideals of justice and peace to generate in modern man the moral energy to actuate them, that we are confident of their gradual victory indeed we are even more confident that on his own modern man has an understanding of the ways of peace sufficient to enable him to become a promoter of that justice which opens those ways and sets people travelling them with courageous and prophetic hope to our brothers and sons and daughters of the catholic church we commend this our invitation. It is necessary to bring the men of the day a message of hope through a brotherhood which has lived truly and through an honest and persevering effort for greater true justice. That reading comes from an invitation to peace by Saint Pope Paul VI on the day of peace 1st of January, 1972. May we hear that invitation echo through these decades to our ears, and may we answer that call to be witnesses of the gospel, to be promoters of peace, to be pursuers of justice. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. We want to invite you to be a part of the ongoing conversation. I'm sure you have much to say. Come over to social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls on Twitter. The handles at outside the walls. Today's show is brought to you by Richard Jones and all those who support the show through Patreon. Go to outside the walls.com. Click the Patreon link and join their numbers until next week. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.